The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. I recently came across this article in Toronto Life magazine by an author named Stuart Berman. And he says, um, Hamilton makes a terrible first impression. When you approach the city from the QEW, it doesn't feature a skyline so much as a blockade of smokestacks, a veritable do not enter sign made of steel and scrawled in soot. The view off the 403 isn't, so, isn't much more appealing. Fast food drive throughs dank 70s mid-rise buildings and five-lane one-way roads that might as well be freeways. I bet you know people who, who, who think this way. You maybe have thought this way as well, or you, maybe you feel this way uh, even, even today. And I get it. Uh, Hamilton is an easy target. It's, it's almost like one of the things that, you know, if you're in, from Toronto or Ottawa or Guelph, uh, or even towns like Dundas and Stony Creek and Ancaster, one of the things that you have in common is that you're not Hamilton. And it's become actually this kind of like acceptable form of prejudice. And like, I don't want you to know, I'm done with it. Today, I'm done with it. it. You know, we wouldn't accept that. If we were talking about like, suppose a person was talking about women. You know, we wouldn't tolerate it. We wouldn't accept it if a person said, you know what? I can't stand women. Women are the worst. Like we wouldn't, we, that wouldn't stand, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't let that stand. We would, we would challenge that because how you, how you think and feel about, about women affects how you treat women. And the same is true uh, for a city. So for some reason though, it's become acceptable to, to say or to believe like Hamilton is the worst. And so we want to challenge those attitudes, whether it's in our neighbors or it's in us. So today we start this series called In Hamilton As It Is In Heaven. And the aim of the, these next several weeks is to grow in our awareness and our empathy of what's going on in Hamilton so that more and more we love the city and Hamilton will feel like home. I mean, God is not done with this city, there is a lot, lot that he is, is up to, and we're going to see that week by week. So we're going to look actually at uh, a different issue or a different challenge that's affecting Hamiltonians, and we're going to see how God is already on the move in, in these various issues. Just so you know, we are not looking to start a bunch of programs as a result of this series. We're not doing this series in order to like guilt you or manipulate you into volunteering and doing a bunch of new stuff or adding a bunch of new things to your schedule that you're not already doing. But if this series works, I think that if this series works, Hamilton will feel more and more like home for us. It'll feel like it's a, like a part of our family. It'll, it'll feel like it's a part of us. And so to that end, this morning, I just want to get our, this, this study uh, started by asking three questions. Number one, why does God care about cities? Number two, what is it about this city? Like, what is the deal with Hamilton? And number three, how does the church relate to the city? So why does God care about cities? What is it about this city? And how does the church relate to the city? So the first question, what, what does God care about cities? Why does he care about cities? And, and, and um, so just so you know, I've lived in Hamilton most of my life. I was, I was born here. I lived here until I was about 12. But what a lot of people, what you might not realize is my family actually moved away when I was 12. And so I lived on a farm 
about 45 minutes south of here from the age 12 until I went off to university. So I'm a little bit city and I'm a little bit country. Okay. Like I can, like I, I've lived in both worlds. I, I love downtown. I love, you know, art crawl and super crawl. I also know how to drive a tractor so I can get by in both worlds. And I can tell you based on my experience and based on what others have said, the cities tend to be the place of greater opportunity. Like in a city, that's where you're gonna find a university and a hospital and a factory and a shopping mall and you're gonna find all of those things within minutes of each other. Interesting, if you drive up Highway 6, if you drive straight up Highway 6, you're gonna find a lot of land, you know, homes with tons and tons of property, but who can afford it, right? On the other hand, if you have sort of a modest middle-class income in Hamilton, you can actually get by. You can actually get by. And there, because in Hamilton, there's just more opportunity. There's just, there are more jobs. There are more schools. There are more homes. There's better transportation. So the city is the place of greater opportunity. The city is also the place of greater priority. What do I mean by that, by priority? What I mean is that as the cities go, the culture follows. Okay, where the cities go, the culture follows. The city is where musicians and artists and thinkers and writers, that's where they gather to do their work. And so it has always been true that revolutions and movements and trends begin in the city and then they spread to the country, right? Think fashion trends, they begin, they start in cities. It's not that there aren't interesting, intelligent, creative people in the country, it's that if you want to impact a culture, you need to be where the people are so that your art and your music gets seen and heard. The city is the place of priority, okay? The city is also the place of greater density, and this isn't, this isn't hard to understand. A city is people, right? A city is people, and cities matter because people matter. Cities matter because people matter, and in a city, there's just simply more of them, and they're closer together. And there's this theologian in the U.S., his name is Bill Crispin, and he teaches about urban ministries. And one of the things he says to get people uh, interested in city ministry is that the country is where there are more plants than people. The city is where there are more people than plants. And because God loves people much more than he loves plants, he loves the city more than the country. So that's what we mean by, by density. There's just more to love in the city. Uh, the city is also the place of greater diversity. It's not just that there's more people, but there's more kinds of people. So cities tend to attract, for example, immigrants and refugees and newcomers to Canada because not only does the city have everything that you need, but there's also a good chance that when you land in the city, you're going to find other people who come from the place you came from. And, and after a while, if you've put down roots in the city, you might, as you interact with your family back home, you might be able to persuade some of them to come in here and join you in the city. So it's the place of greater diversity. The city is also the place, finally, of greater, greatest community. It's the place where you have greatest opportunity for, for community. Because life in a city simply overlaps in more and greater ways than it does in the country. If you live in the city, the kid's ball goes over the fence sometimes, right? Your, your mail gets delivered to the wrong house sometimes. Or if you, you, know, you, you borrow your neighbor's weed whacker 
from time to time. When, in a, also, in a city, when there is a new family who moves onto your street, you have a much, you're, you're probably much more concerned about what that family is like. You know what I mean? Like, if you live in a city where the houses are close together, if a family that moves into a new house and turns out to be a drug dealing family, or like if they're if they're growing weed or something out of that house, you are more concerned about it in the city than you are in the country. It's not that you're not concerned about it in the country, but it affects you more in the city than it does if you're on a country road where there's a half a kilometer between you and your neighbor. And so there's a there is this overlap, and that overlap allows for a greater sense of common life. Okay, and and all of these things uh, tend to be true more true in the city than in the country. And that's why in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when it was, um, so like the story of when, when God's people were conquered, when the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonians in 586 uh, BC, they were brought over into exile in Babylon. They're going to sit and, and kind of languish in exile in Babylon for 70 years. And if anybody had reason to hate a city, it was the Jews, as they're sitting there in Babylon. You would expect them to resist. You would expect them to say, man, Babylon is the worst. But listen to what God says to his people. Uh, Will read this earlier in Jeremiah 29. God tells them, I want you to build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Like you're mixing, there's, the race is mixing with the Babylonians. So multiply there, do not decrease. But listen to this in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Some versions say seek the thriving of, of the city. Uh, pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, in its thriving, in its flourishing, you will find yours. You will find your welfare, your, th- your thriving, your flourishing as the city finds its thriving. This is a really big deal. The city of Babylon is like a gift to Israel. It's not plan B. It is God's plan A for Israel. And their welfare is bound up in whether or not they put down roots there. And God's telling them, I want you to buy land. I want you to uh, build houses and live there and grow your food. And I want you to meet people and date them and marry them. And I want you to relate to the city in such a way that when the city prospers, you prosper. And when the city suffers, you suffer. That's how God feels about the city. And check it out, when you come to the New Testament and the apostles uh, need to get the gospel out, they're figuring out how to get the gospel to the world. You know, you remember how they did that. I mean, this, the book of Acts, the rest of the New Testament tells the story. It's the cities, city by city, one by one. That's what the New Testament is. It's the story of how the gospel moved from one city to the next and spread across the empire from Jerusalem to Corinth to Ephesus and Athens and Rome and on and on and on. Why? Because the Holy Spirit and the apostles know that cities are the place of greatest opportunity and priority and density and diversity and community. 
So that's why I really love this quote by Tim Keller, who's a, a pastor in Manhattan. We're going to hear from him a few times over the course of this series. But Tim Keller says that uh, cities quite literally have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. How can we not be drawn to such masses of humanity if we care about the same things that God cares about? So God loves the city. He loves the city. Now, next question, why this city? What is it about Hamilton? What's the deal with Hamilton? Let me share the story of Hamilton with you, okay? Because I think that you're gonna find that this is all of our story in a way. Like the story of Hamilton is the story of your neighbors. So let's go back about 100 years. But 100 years ago, the steel industry is booming. And the steel mills are producing artillery and shells for World War, that are being used in World War I and II. In those days, more than half of Canada's steel comes from right here in Hamilton. And downtown is a happening place. It's booming. There are huge department stores downtown. And there are movie theaters and concert halls. And there are street festivals all along King Street and Main Street for the first half of the 20th century. It's just like, just think, Hamilton is rocking. It's a time of prosperity and wealth and flourishing and promise. And with that prosperity came a, a rise in organized crime. So one of the things we see is that, especially in places like the East End, James Street North, or Bartonville, places that interestingly today, we would say are a little bit kind of run down or a little bit more dangerous. Those, those places used to be gorgeous. They used to be the places which were a hive of activity for, uh, for, for the mafia. There were some people actually who thought in those days that City Hall was run by the mob. But it's interesting because it seems like as the, as the mafia kind of moved out of those neighborhoods, there's nobody who, who took their place to care for those neighborhoods. The, the century moves on. Then we get to the 1980s and there's a recession. And suddenly everybody is on strike for more pay and better vacation, except that the companies don't have any money to give anybody a raise or more vacation. And nobody is buying homes in those days because the interest rates are so high. So imagine if you've bought a house in the last few years, you might have paid an interest rate of something like two or 3% or something like that. In the 1980s, if you were buying a house, you might have paid 20% interest, 20% annual interest. So hardly anybody is buying properties except for the super wealthy. And so in those days, a lot of homes uh, are turned into uh, illegal rental units that are actually still there. And other, other buildings, other homes and other businesses, they just are empty. And, and so globalism, the, this process of like getting our resources from other cheaper places overseas, that hit Hamilton pretty hard. Because you see, when times are tough, who's gonna pay top dollar for a, a made in Canada Ford car when they can get a cheap Hyundai made from imported steel for about half the price? So the 80s and 90s, that's all, it was a really, really hard time for Hamilton and tens of thousands of people are laid off or they take early retirement packages. And, uh, and eventually, the only way for these companies to stay in business is for them to sell to American companies. And here's the thing. When that happened, a lot of those retired steelworkers, they lost their pension. 
These are your neighbors. These are the people who live in the city near you. These retirees, they lost their pensions. They lost their benefits. Suddenly, there's a couple of generations of Hamiltonians who, have, who had been working for decades in these steel mills, and they've lost everything that they had worked for. And so is it any surprise that in Hamilton, at the same, about at the same time, the turn of the century, uh, we, there was a huge rise in social assistance dependence, in, a rise in crime, rise in addictions, rise in uh, unemployment, rise in mental illness, uh, and on and on and on. Now, one more thing, the churches. The churches, for lots of reasons, the churches were in decline through uh, the latter half of the 20th century. So whereas the churches in Hamilton used to be full of Anglicans and Catholics and Presbyterians and Baptists and United and on and on, they're in decline. It's almost like as the city suffered, more and more of them moved out to the suburbs and others just closed their doors. And so today... Uh, in Hamilton, for a, a city of more than half a million people, I could name probably 20 churches that are faithfully, biblically trying to share the love of Jesus here. I could name about 20. And, and let's say, let's, let's more than double that. Let's say that there are 50 good churches in Hamilton. If there are 50 good, biblical, uh, you know, faithful, gospel-centered churches in Hamilton, that is still one church for every 10,000 Hamiltonians. And, and so it's interesting that as things got harder and harder in Hamilton, there were fewer and fewer churches left to help. And I don't know how you feel about that, but that kind of bums me out. And so as hard as it has been, as hard as it's been in Hamilton, um, I just want you to know there are still there are good things happening, and we're going to be talking about that as the weeks go on. Um, but at this point, what we need to understand is that for a lot of folks, the story of Hamilton is the story of a lot of broken promises. There are a lot of people who whose experience of Hamilton is it's the place of unmet expectation and unfulfilled dreams and hopes, and having to resort to Plan B. And so some people ask, you know, how could you love this city? What are you doing in Hamilton? And I just want to say, how could you not love Hamilton? Like when you hear the story of what Hamilton has been through, how could we not love it? Hamilton needs churches like ours. We're just one of many. But Hamilton needs churches like ours who will say, we pray for this city. We seek the welfare of this city. And we are praying that it's going to be in Hamilton as it is in heaven. And in fact, we not only are we praying for that, but we are serving to that end. We, are, we want to be the answer to that prayer. Now, what does that look like? How does, this, how does the church relate to the city? How does the church relate to the city? In other words, what does the city need from us? I think if we're honest, we begin actually by recognizing that the moment that we find ourselves in is not totally dissimilar from the moment that Israel found themselves in in Jeremiah 29. We face exile in a, in a way that's similar to what they faced. Okay, like the church, sorry, in case you didn't know this already, the church just doesn't have the place of honor that it did that in our culture that it did about 100 years ago. So Jeremiah 29, it's just as relevant for us today as it was for them. And if we're going to obey God's uh, instructions there, that's going to be expressed in, in, in certain choices that we make as the people of God living in Hamilton. 
Now, I, I came across a, a list of, by Tim Keller a, a, a little while ago that I found helpful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of adapt that for our purposes and, and add to it. But Tim Keller says, if 25% of the people in a church are willing to make these choices, then that church is positioned to have an impact on the city, to have an impact on their neighbors and their neighborhoods. So let me say that again. Um, if 25% of the people in a church are willing to make the following choices, then that church is positioned to, to have a real impact on the people around us. And, and, and so I'm adapting this for, for our purposes. So what does the city need from a church? I've got uh, five things. One is the city needs the church to be safe. The city needs the church to be safe. They need us to be safe for people who doubt and who struggle. Okay, this is a choice to be honest and to recognize that it's actually not easy to follow Jesus. That it's actually hard to be a Christ follower. And so doubts are normal and struggles are normal and, and, and yielding to temptation once in a while. That is, that is normal. In fact, that's the Christian life. That's why Jesus invites us to come and to carry our cross, not to like go tiptoeing through the daisies. That's not what the Christian life is. For a church to be safe means it is not weird to have people who are struggling and going through hard times. And we're not going to say to one another in those times, what is wrong with you? Why are you struggling? Why are you having such a hard time? Why don't you just trust God more? No, we're going to be safe for one another. That's what the city needs from us. Uh, Hamilton also needs the church to be hospitable. The, the city needs us to be hospitable and not tribal. We're not going to, we're not going to have um, all of our friendships with people who are exactly like us, okay? We're going to resist the temptation to have all of our friendships with people who look and think and sound exactly like we do. And so when we have meaningful, equal, uh, loving relationships with people who aren't Christians, that's the sort of church that's the sort of people who obey Jeremiah 29. So Hamilton needs us to be hospitable. Hamilton also needs us to be loving. What do I mean, I mean by that? It's so broad. Um, by loving, I mean we're going to choose to listen. We're going to listen long and hard, and we're going to wait until we have earned the right to say hard things. We love the people in our, in our like we, we love our neighbors. We love the people in our neighborhoods and in our, our, our workplaces. And we love them enough not to mock them for their unbelief or condemn them or judge them for their unbelief. But we're going to listen carefully and lovingly and we're going to be able to restate their doubts and their questions and their objections in such a way that as they hear us restate their questions, uh, that, that they hear us and they say, you know what? That is exactly what I believe. Yes, thank you. That's exactly what I believe. Thank you for respecting and loving me enough to quote me accurately. Um, so the city needs us to be loving. The city also needs us to be gracious in how we interact with them. We're going to make careful, prayerful choices about how we talk about Jesus with our neighbors. So we're not trying to fix them. And when we hear them talk about a problem that they're going through, we're not there to fix them and, and show them the easy answer. Well, we're going to share the good news with them. We're going to share the gospel in, in, with such grace and love that it actually feels like good news. And that when there is an offense to be had, it's not our presentation. It's not the way that we said it that's the problem. But the offense, if there's any offense, the offense comes from the cross. So Hamilton needs us to be gracious. And Hamilton needs us to be generous. 
Hamilton needs us to be generous. What I mean by that is we're, it's a, this is a choice to share with one another freely the things that everybody else expects to pay for. We're gonna, sh- let me say that again. To be, uh, the choice to be generous with one another is the choice to share with one another freely the things that everybody else in the city expects to pay for. So things like childcare, things like transportation, like borrowing somebody's car, things like housing, needing a place to stay for a little while, things like help with repairs if something goes wrong, things with like like dog sittings, on, on and on and on. When one of us is in need, it's going to be normal for the church to respond. That's what I mean by being generous. And and maybe it's not going to be the whole church that that does it. Maybe it's going to be your faith family uh, that can that can respond and, and take care of it. But the city looks on and the city can't explain that away. The church, like the city looks at that and the city notices because it doesn't make sense because the people in the city expect to pay for those things. And now again, Tim Keller says that if a quarter of the people in your church uh, are, are willing to live this way, are willing to make these choices, then you are positioned to make a, a, to actually have an impact on the city. You will make an impact on the people around you. And here's the thing I, I, I think is really cool about this. When these things are happening, when enough of us are making the choice to live this way with one another, you know what you've got? What you've got is an alternate city. You've got an alternate city. You've got a city within a city. Okay, we're, we're not talking about us being some kind of cult or some exclusive club that is in competition with uh, Hamilton. I'm talking about... Uh, a different way to be Hamilton. I'm talking about a redeemed version of of Hamilton. That is how the church relates to the city. So, so listen, it's it's important to say uh, the church is not here, in, in my view, the church is not here to eradicate hunger and poverty and disease and human trafficking and mental illness and, and on and on. I mean, we're going to do what we can to respond to the to these issues as we can. But if you think that these sermons are where I'm going to tell you that it's your responsibility to fix poverty in Hamilton, you can relax, you can breathe. That's not what this is about. What I'm saying, though, is that if we do this right, then we're going to be a city within a city. We're going to be a city within a city. And just so you know, it's happening. It is, it is actually happening. We have people in Benediction Church, who are already doing this. It's already happening. And in fact, it is so simple, I think, that it, it's easy to overthink. Let me, tell you, let me tell you about my friend Graham, okay? Graham Smith is the guy who, is a, who, who founded uh, Gorilla Cheese. Um, he doesn't know my name, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, but I know him. And when they had their Ottawa Street location, we ate there quite a bit. Uh, we were neighbors. And so every time I went in to eat, uh, or if I was in the neighborhood, I might stop by and say hi to Graham. But we would we would chat, we would connect, and we would catch up. And and he knew my kids, and he knew that I'm a pastor and I'm part of a church, and he also knew that I'm a good tipper. But then, the landlord jacked up the rent, and they lost the shop, and Graham had to kind of find Plan B. Uh, and then Graham got sick with cancer, and it was really bad there for a while. See, what you might not know is that Gorilla Cheese is actually Graham's Plan B. Because Graham grew up in a family where his dad had worked for Stelco for almost 40 years. And Graham was going to, he was all set up to take 
over and, and sort of and get a job there too. But in 2006, when Stelco was bought by U.S. Steel, he was laid off and he had to find his plan B. When he got plan, when he got Gorilla Cheese going, it became a successful business. Then they lost their their they lost the shop. Then he got cancer, and when I finally ran into Graham again, it was last September at Supercrawl, and I from a distance I could see the Gorilla Cheese truck, and I was really hoping that maybe Graham is in there. We can I can I can see my friend. We can we can talk. I saw the truck, and I I went up and I cut through the line, and uh, and I saw him. There he was. He recognized me. And I asked how he's doing, and we spent a few minutes catching up, and 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 uh, customers were watching us too, and they're waiting for him to stop talking so that he can get back to making their grilled cheese sandwiches. But I told Graham that I had been praying for him, and he actually he thanked me, and he said that he could tell, and so I was really moved by that, and I reached up and I shook his hand, and I held onto his hand a little while, and uh, and to be honest, I had a little cry. And as he looked at me, he had a little cry. And the staff inside the, the inside of the Gorilla Cheese truck, they looked at each other and they didn't know what to do. And some of them had a little cry too. And then the customers who were in line, they started getting mad and impatient. And, and so I said, I should get going and that I'll, I'll see him around. But that was it. There was no like, you know, big dramatic conversion. There was no major, no prayer, no altar call. It was just sort of a brief, loving reunion, just a, a moment. But it was the payoff of a bunch of little moments that had led up to that point. Now, why am I telling you this story? It's because to me, Graham, uh, Graham's story is Hamilton's story. The story of Graham Smith is the story of struggle and broken promises and unmet expectations and having to resort to plan B. But more than that, Graham is becoming more and more a part of the alternate city that we inhabit. More and more, he's becoming a part of this alternate city, that city within a city. Now, I don't have a five-year plan for my relationship with Graham. I, I just know that when he was sick, uh, I missed him. Uh, he, I just know that I care about him and that it matters to me that he knows that I care about him. You know, just to be honest, there is no good reason for me to care about Graham except that my life has been changed by the love of Jesus and we are neighbors. We've been, we were neighbors for a long time and so I have some of that love now for Graham and I think that he knows that. And I just want you, I just wish that for you. I wish that for you and for the Grahams in your life because it's glorious and it's beautiful. And, and as you do, and as you include people more and more in your city within a city, God is being glorified and your neighbors are being blessed and it is becoming just a little bit more in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Now, next time we get together, we're going to be talking about the problem of poverty and seeing why, why it's actually a justice and a gospel issue. In other weeks, we're going to be talking about mental illness, and Courtney's going to be helping us with that one. We're going to be talking about housing and homelessness and gentrification. We're going to be talking about addictions. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a kid in Hamilton, and Brittany Ann is going to uh, help us with that one. We're going to talk about Hamilton's hate crime problem, and, and each time as we look at a different issue affecting Hamiltonians, we're going to find that there is some actually some really good news if we are willing to be that alternate city, if we're willing to be a city within a city. And as we wrap up today, I just want to close by sharing a few questions that I want to encourage you to, to take with you. 
Okay, some questions I encourage you to take with you. Number one, what is your general attitude towards the city? What's your attitude towards the city? Is it generally positive? Is it generally kind of negative? Do you look down on Hamilton? Now, what's your attitude towards Hamilton? Is, is God allowed to touch that attitude and put his finger on it and say, that is not okay, and I'm calling you to repent of your attitude towards the city? So what's your general attitude towards the city? Number two, what do you see as the biggest obstacles to it being in Hamilton as it is in heaven? Like, what are the things about Hamilton that you would change if you could in order to make them more, make it more in line here with the kingdom of heaven? Or for you, is it just, are we just too far gone? Like, is it, is it too late for the city? So what's the biggest obstacle? Number, number three, who is in your alternate city? Who are you including in the city within a city that we are building? Thank you for listening.